Hey church, we are in our Light Night series, as you've heard, and we're doing the Belt of Truth today. And, and I just want to remind you, in our series, the entire kind of vision for our series is to show us that Jesus is the ultimate light night, and that as we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we put on the armor of light, we also are walking in light. We are light nights with him as we put on the armor of God. And there's three things, three words I've asked you to remember throughout the series, and they begin with A. Awareness, which corresponds to how you live out your identity in Christ. So the, the goal of this is to bring you awareness of the spiritual world so that you see past what's physical. Uh, abundance, that's going to help you live out your destiny in Christ. It's, it's to say, guys, if you can put on the full armor of God, you can live in abundance, you can experience the abundant life that Christ came to give us. And then authority. Authority speaks to your influence and how you influence our city, how you influence the world. And and so you have this authority, like we talked about a few weeks ago, that Jesus has given you. And so many of us don't access it, but you can walk in that authority today. So awareness, abundance, and authority, we're going to talk about uh, as we go through uh, this sermon today. And the context of this, because we're not in Ephesians 6 today, we're actually going to be in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And the context of this book, of this entire book of 2 Timothy that Paul writes to Timothy is truth. And that's what we're preaching out of this today. So, so uh, let's, let's just talk about a couple things, what, what Paul does in this book leading up to this passage. Uh, because he starts off with talking about suffering. And so guys, if it hasn't been clear yet, for you as a follower of Jesus... What you've signed up for is a life of suffering. That's the life of Jesus. So if you're going to follow Jesus and he is the suffering servant and we are not greater than our master, then the life that we've signed up for is going to be one of suffering. Now, here's the good news. You're going to experience suffering in this life no matter what, whether you're following Jesus or not. Uh, I know that that sounds like bad news, Uh, but the good news is in Jesus, your burden can be light, your yoke can be easy, and you can experience abundance, abundance, as awareness needs to happen first, but you can experience abundance in Christ Jesus. Like you don't have to just suffer in silence. You don't just have to suffer on your own. You don't just have to suffer with no hope. You don't have to suffer with no joy. Paul is one of the, the main people in the scriptures that goes through so much suffering. He says, I'm content in all circumstances. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ for you today. And, and so Paul, in, in this letter, it's no different. He says, he says suffering in, in, verse, sorry, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, He's, he's encouraging to me. He says, just share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So again, it's not suffering on your own. He says, by the power of God. So if you're in Christ, you get to do that by the power of God. And so uh, he talks about suffering there. He also goes into uh, chapter 2. He talks about suffering. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So remember what we talked about. We are in a spiritual war. You are battling 
every day against the powers, the principalities, the rulers, the, this present darkness. Like we are battling against that every day. And, and, and so let's wake up and be aware and see that around us. He says, you're a soldier in war. So you're going to share in sufferings as a good soldier does. And then in, the, in, in a few verses down in verse nine of chapter two, he says, I am suffering. I'm suffering bound with chains. So there's like, he's not just talking about this ethereal abstract suffering. He's like, no, literally I'm writing this while I'm in prison. Like, and I am in chains because of the gospel as a criminal. But guess what he says? The word of God is not bound. The word of God isn't in chains. Hold on to that for later. The word of God is not in chains. And then he, he says in uh, the, the next verse, he, verse, he says, I endure everything. And then the next chapter in verse 12, he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. So if that's your desire today, I don't want you to think you sign up for the easy life. We are on the narrow path. We're not on the wide one. We're on the narrow one if we're following Jesus. And he says, if you try to do that, you will be persecuted. So just want to be clear on what we signed up for. Paul is, Paul is being clear as he leads into this, this uh, segment in the, in the book that we're going to talk about today, that this life is one of suffering, okay? But it's with Jesus. It's in the power of God. The word of God is not bound. It's not chained. So how do we do that? He says, how, how, how do we continue to pursue Jesus and follow Jesus in this world? Because it's easy, he says, to get distracted. So he tells Timothy, he says, follow my pattern, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me. So he's, he's giving all this instruction to Timothy. And Timothy has submitted himself to hear from Paul uh, and say, I want to pattern and model my life after yours. I want to imitate it. So he, he talks about that in, in chapter 1. And then, and then Paul says in chapter 2, he says, because you're a good soldier, he says, do not get distracted by civilian pursuits. Don't chase the things of this world. Don't get distracted by the things that you want in life. Don't get distracted by the things other people have in life. Don't get distracted by social media. Don't get distracted by uh, having enough money for retirement. Don't get distracted by having the, the, your nice house. Don't get distracted by success and what people think of you and uh, you know, that next raise and a promotion. Don't get distracted by needing affirmation from people. He says, do not get involved in civilian pursuits. You're a soldier in a battle. You can't afford to get distracted. You have to be focused. And he's urging Timothy on onto that. And one of the main things leading up to this passage in chapter 4 that he tells Timothy over and over and over again is to not be ashamed. And I'm like, why does he tell him that? Why is he so adamant to say in, in uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share in suffering. Because, guys, you know, our truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth that we think is going to save humankind, 
the truth that we have given our lives for, if you're a follower of Jesus, that truth is offensive. And it's kind of ridiculous. Paul says it's foolishness to those who are perishing, actually, that a man who claimed to be God and died on a cross almost 2,000 years ago has any effect on us today. And we talk about his blood, and we talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and, and it's like, what? And Paul says, don't be ashamed of that gospel. Yeah, it looks like foolishness. It sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God unto salvation. And so we should not be ashamed. And ask yourself, are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What prevents you from sharing this, this powerful truth and from truly living it out? Is it shame? And you may think, ah, no, it's not shame. But guys, like, shame is deep. You gotta uncover a lot of layers to get down to, to your shame. And so really ask the Lord that because it was important enough for Paul to say this to Timothy over and over and over again. This isn't the only book Paul talks about being ashamed. So here, it happens in, in chapter 1, verse 8, and then in verse 12, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced. So he's, he's setting this pattern, this example for Timothy. He says, I'm not ashamed. And then he says, in verse 16, the same chapter, he says, Onesiphorus, he's not ashamed. And he talks about how Onesiphorus lives out his life. So we have another example of someone who's not who's not ashamed. And then chapter 2, verse 15, he says, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. So he's, he's hitting on it again. He says, and this, this worker properly or rightly handles the word of truth. And so don't be ashamed. And all this leads up to the, the probably main verse, the, the verse, uh, uh, no, main verse isn't the right word, but the verse that people know the most in this letter, in this book of 2 Timothy, it comes in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. That all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, beneficial for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Wow. That, that is a tremendous verse. And it comes in light of this not being ashamed of the gospel, of sharing in the sufferings of Christ, of not getting distracted. And it comes right before our passage that we're going to deal with today. And so what is the belt of truth exactly? Well, the belt of truth is scripture. It's the word of God. Now, uh, we're going to focus on the word of God today because um, that, is, uh, that is our main source of truth. But I just want to say this to be clear. It's not our only source of truth. Here's the thing. All truth is God's truth wherever it's found. If it's true, it belongs to God. 
If it's not true, if it's a lie, it belongs to the enemy, who's the father of lies. But if it's true, it belongs to our Father in heaven. And so, where I would say this is our main source of truth in, in, in following Jesus, I'd also say we can learn God's truth in other places. We can learn God's truth in nature. We can learn God's, God's, we can learn God's truth through, through, through some science, through, through um, uh, some of the arts, through um, uh, other people, through so many other, other avenues, right? So we're not saying that this, that this word of God contains all truth because it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't contain truth about, uh, it doesn't contain all truth about, uh, that's found in psychology. It doesn't contain all truth that's found in uh, how to play basketball. It doesn't contain all truth uh, in how to make clothes, right? So, so um, uh, there's, there's truth found in other places, but we're going to focus on, on this today. So the belt of truth here, let's talk about it as the word of God. Um, and the belt of truth upholds all the armor, Right, and so how does it do that? Well, it does it through four ways. Through teaching, through reproof, which is like rebuke, uh, through correction, and through training in righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but none of those four things sound pleasant to me. Right? It's, it's way. Um, teaching is like the most innocuous one, but oftentimes we buck up against that. Uh, if we haven't submitted ourselves to someone's teaching, we're like, no, I don't want to hear that. I don't need you to teach me. Uh, and, and so we, we can buck up against that. Um, but reproof and rebuke, definitely. Uh, correction, training in righteousness, and the word of God does these four things. Why? Well, this is what the truth does for us. It equips us for every good work that we may be complete. And so... That is right before this passage. And as we go in, into this passage in verse 1, I want you to remember awareness. Because he's about to say, hey, be aware. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So he's reminding us of Christ's appearing, of the kingdom of God that surrounds us, and that we are in the presence of God, that God is with us. That God is here among us. That God is in our church. That God is out where, where you're at work. God is there. He's gone with you. If you're a child of light, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. God is with you. He's, he's, um, you're in his presence. And so, remember this awareness, this spiritual awareness. There's so much, guys. Think the second sermon in the series, that light spectrum. There's so much that we don't see. There's so much that we don't even know that's going on because... We, we don't see it physically. It's in the spiritual realm. It's in the spiritual world. But if you're in tune with the spirit, if you're in tune with, if you got the belt of truth on, then you, actually, you can actually see that world with your heart. You can sense it. You can feel it. You know it's surrounding you. It's the air you're breathing. And so what I want to do right now before we go further in this passage is I want to bring us together into awareness that we're in the presence of God. That right now in your R3 group, at your weekly rally, you're in the presence of God because where two or three are gathered, there he is. So you're with, you're with God. You're in community right now. And so whatever you brought in today, whatever is, is happening in your week, whatever's happening in your life right now, 
I just want to take this time for all of us to recognize he's charging us in in the presence of God, that Jesus has appeared, that our rescuer, our savior, everything is here with us, that his kingdom is being ushered in as we speak and we are agents of that. And so I wanna take you in a little bit, um, just do a little spiritual direction with you so we can become aware. So what I'm gonna do is we're gonna gonna, um, sit in silence just for a few seconds, and I'm gonna stay on camera here. So you're gonna sit in silence. Um, And so you can do this with your eyes closed, with your eyes open, with your hands out, Um, whatever is good for you not to get distracted, right? Um, Looking up, Jesus looked up a lot when when he prayed. So um, we're gonna do some silence, and I'm gonna ask you a question. And then I'm gonna give you more silence, and you're gonna answer that question, you know, between you and the Lord, you're gonna ask him that question. Um, and then you're going to let him answer it, actually. And then silence, and we're going to repeat that three times. And then I'll finish by reading, um, by reading some of this passage. So let's just sit in silence for um, just a few seconds, and I'll ask you a question. And just think about the awareness of God, and just try to hear my voice. Just think about uh, being in God's presence right now. Now ask yourself this question, am I ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed of the truth? Am I ashamed of Jesus? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And now ask, what is currently distracting me from pursuing Jesus with all that I am? What hindrances are there that are preventing you from following Jesus with everything? If you have nothing, mark that question for later, because there is something. There is something. And then now ask yourself this question, am I willing to share in the sufferings of Christ? And if you are, speak that out to the Lord. Say that to him right now, that I'm willing to share in, in your sufferings. 
And if your answer is yes, then I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Guys, this is... This is what I'm talking about uh, when we talk about destiny. This is your destiny is to do this. Your destiny in Christ, all of us, is to do this, is to preach the word. Is to, and this is part of the abundant life. So if, if, so now we're aware, we're moving toward into abundance. And if you want to experience the abundant life, this is what following Jesus means. You have to preach the word. And now you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not a preacher. Guys, don't. What we don't want to do is read in today's understanding of preaching into this word. What he's talking about here is is proclamation, not you doing this necessarily. You proclaiming the word of God. And we're all called to do that. We're all called to share our faith. We're all called to proclaim and preach the word and to share our faith. Because we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Because we want to give people the power of God unto salvation. And so this is our destiny. We, we preach the word. We announce it. And, and there's five imperatives in this, in this verse here, five command statements that uh, Paul gives. And the first one is preach the word. And the next four tell, tell us how to do that. They give us the how. They qualify preaching the word. So preach the word, proclaim it, announce it. Well, how? Uh, by being ready in season and out of season, by always being ready to share our faith, always being ready to do that. And then through reproving, through rebuking, and through exhorting. We're not going to go through, through all those three, but, but they, they, um, they, all that kind of matches up well with verses 16 and 17 that we just read, right? So um, this is the how. How do you preach the word? Well, we have to do these things. We have to do it in season, out of season, always ready. We have to do it with reproof, with, with rebuke sometimes, and with exhortation, with, with showing people the truth and saying, yeah, this is the way you should go. It's not just encouragement. Exhortation is stronger than that. It's not just encouragement. It's like a, it's like a, a little push in the right direction. And, and so he says to do this with complete patience and teaching. So what does that look like? Um, you, you know, normally when we see patience, we think calm demeanor. We think, um, you know, someone who is dis- almost dispassionate, right? You're, you're more level-headed. And so that's not exactly what this is. So what we don't want to do is read into this word patience, a lack of fervency, a lack of zeal. We don't want to um, read into this a lack of urgency, so patience doesn't necessarily infer those things. Now, uh, no, at least not, not here in, in the scriptures. Now, um, in our culture, in our world, we can tend to read into that here. So think about it this way. If you're walking on the street and you're with your child or you see a child um, and they run into the road when a truck is coming, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, like... I want to do this in patience, so I'm going to not have urgency, I'm not going to have fervency, or I'm not going to have zeal. No, guys, you're going to say, get out of the road right now. You're going to say, stop! 
don't move, like, come back here, what are you doing, like, come this way, there's a car coming, right? You're, you're gonna shout, you're gonna chase after them, you're gonna protect them, you're, you're gonna uh, try to save them and, and rescue them, right? So, um, when he says here, patience of the teens, that's, that's what I mean. I, I, I don't mean, uh, I, I don't want you to read into this lack of those things, because elsewhere in the scriptures, Paul says, those are marks of a Christian. He says, don't be slothful in zeal. He says, be fervent in spirit. I, this, the, uh, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, but of boldness, right? So, um, so that isn't what patience means. It means, patience here means long-suffering, that you will stay with someone in it till the end, that you will not give up on them, that you will, that you will be patient because you know God is doing a work in them, that if your child runs out on the road again, you'll do the same thing. Now, here's the thing. Patience has to be paired with teaching. Now, if you're a parent, you, you might be guilty of doing this, um, but I, this, is, this is what our culture does as well. Um, we don't teach, we don't, we don't, teaching takes effort. Teaching takes time. Teaching takes intentionality. And, uh, and as a parent, it's hard sometimes, right? And so you could, you could find yourself saying to your child, don't do that, don't do that. Um, why? because I told you not to, right? Instead of teaching and coming alongside them, explaining them. So the child runs down the road, hey, you shouldn't do that. Well, why not? Because I said not to. Well, no, because you could die. Because you could have gotten hit by that truck. And so when you pair it with teaching, guys, what you need to do is, is patience and teaching shows that, wow, teaching takes time. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a lot of investment. And it provides the why. It provides the why. So we're, we're really good guys, Christians are really good at looking at society, looking at culture of, uh, and, and of reproving, rebuking, and exhorting without patience and teaching. They say, oh, you guys shouldn't do that to this, this group of people. Oh, you group of people, you're all going to hell. Oh, this group of people, you're just wrong. Oh, you made that decision, it's sin. Guys, we do that to each other too. Like you're, and, and, and we do, and, and we think it's our job to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort, and it is, but in order to equip with patience and teaching, and we miss all that. It's just like in, in, in Peter, and in, in, in all of our apologetics have been built on this for years, it's like, yeah, we're supposed to defend the faith. You're supposed to give a defense and be ready to give a defense for your faith. Oh, Oh, I missed that part where it said it with, in gentleness and respect. And we just lop those two words off of there. And then we, we, we hurt people with, with our quote-unquote truth. But is it really truth if it's not paired with love? I can tell you at the very least, people don't receive it. It's a cacophonous sound to them, Paul says, a clanging symbol that they don't want to hear. And so it has to be paired with patience and teaching. So that's our destiny. We get to do that. And then he talks about their destiny, other people's destiny. He says, well, theirs is um, to reject sound teaching. He says, they will not endure sound teaching. This, this word sound teaching uh, could be literally translated as healthy or wholesome teaching. Guys, it's vegetables, right? And that's why I say teaching sometimes is not palatable to us, is not desirable, is not... It maybe it's not flavorful. It's not the food that we want because it's vegetables. Now, if you're a vegetarian, you, you, 
uh, you love that. Think, think it's meat to you. Um, but it's healthy, it's wholesome, it's, it's like, oh man, I gotta eat my vegetables. And if you're a child in the faith, if you're a child in life, do you like vegetables? No. Or if you're a child in the faith, it's, it's hard to swallow those vegetables sometimes. But we have to eat that to get to the meat of the faith. And so, so uh, also here, uh, you know, we're talking about the belt of truth uh, and, and talking about wholesomeness. It's the entire truth. It's all of it. Right? It's not just part of it. And it's not just part of it mixed with lies. That's what the enemy does, guys. And here's, here's the sad part, because for a lot of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we get duped by the enemy because it looks like truth, but it just has a little bit of error in it. It's just mixed with a little bit of error. And we run away with the truth, and we use the truth um, mixed with the error, and it does damage to people because it's mixed with lies. And we don't have the wholesome, whole, healthy, beneficial, sound truth that we're delivering to others and to people. And we think we have all the information and we don't. And so he says our teaching has to be sound. And those who, those who are not followers of Jesus, they're not going to want it. They will not endure sound teaching. I think a lot of people in the church aren't enduring sound teaching today. And a lot of people are leaving the church because of it. Um, now, a lot of people are also leaving the church because there is unhealthy and unwholesome and unsound teaching too. And so we want to make sure that our teaching is sound, that we're presenting the entire truth because the enemy works. He's so wily. He's not giving us bald-faced lies. He's giving us lies mixed with truth. Think, think about this with the belt of truth. Uh, you want the whole belt on. And if it's too tight, if the belt is too tight, it restricts you, right? You're like, ah, oh, you know, and it, it, it doesn't allow you to move freely. It doesn't allow you to walk forward in peace, uh, which we're going to talk about soon. Or if it's too loose, your whole armor just just falls off. It's 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 girding up everything, right? Your pants could fall down, right? Like you you don't you need it you need it just right. You know, if it's not buckled. Um, you lose your armor too. So we need like a Goldilocks belt. We need it, it to be in exactly in the right position in its entirety in order to be a healthy, sound, wholesome, beneficial truth. And, and so he finishes here with saying in verse 5, he says, As for you, always, and this is your authority, this is going to help us influence and walk forward in authority. He says, he says As for you, Always, 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 always be sober-minded. How? How do we be sober-minded? Well, you stop consuming the world and you consume the word. You stop believing lies and you believe the truth. You have to have the belt of truth. You have to consume the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you live on the bread of life? Do you live on the word of God? Or are you just consuming the things of the world? Are you consuming your video games? Are you consuming your Netflix? Are you consuming uh, what, what the culture says is success? Are you consuming your social media feed? What are you consuming? Like if, if you're consuming those things, you're not going to be sober-minded. You're not going to be level-headed. 
What's the opposite of sober-minded? Drunk. You mean drunk on the ways of the world. You mean stumbling through life. He says the belt of truth, we need that to be sober-minded. Consume the word, not the world. And then he says, then he says here, endure suffering. There it is again. Endure suffering. Don't run away from it. Don't leave it. Don't try to get out of it. You know, so many of our prayers are, God, take this away from me. Take get me out of this suffering. He says, no, endure it. Stay up under it. Persevere with it. And God will refine you. And how? Like, how do we do that? And, and let me be clear. When I, when I talk about suffering, we're talking about uh, suffering for righteousness sake. Right? We're not talking about suffering for your sin. Those are your consequences for your sin. We're talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Okay. And, and also, I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about necessarily like a disease you have or an illness you have. Yes. S- ask God to take that away. You have the authority in Christ to, to tell that thing to go. Right. We're talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Okay. Um, and, and sometimes uh, there's illness that is there for that. But a lot of times it isn't. And we can say in the name of Jesus to go. But how do we endure suffering? Well, you're never going to endure suffering if you don't have the armor of God on. You have to have the full armor of God on if we're actually going to endure suffering. Guys, it's like being on the battlefield naked. Like, anything's going to take you out, right? Even the dirt when you fall down in the gravel, right, is going to take you out. You need the armor of God. And so many of us are running around on the battlefield naked. And, and that's why we're hurt and we're ashamed and we are debilitated. And, and, and so put on the full armor of God, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, shoes of peace, sword of the spirit, shield of faith. Guys, all these things God has given us and he's given you to take up and put on. So is it endure suffering? Then he says, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Share your faith. Proclaim. Preach the word, right? Do the, work of an evan- do the work of an evangelist. Here's the thing, guys. You have to have the word. You have to have been consuming the word. And it has to be in you and upholding you and feeding you. If you don't, how, do you, how can you expect to do the work of an evangelist? How can you expect to share your faith? What faith? What faith do you have if you're not consuming the word and consuming the truth? And so in order for us to do the work of evangelists, we have to have been consuming the word. We have to be sober-minded. And then he finishes by saying, fulfill your ministry. This is your destiny to influence a city in the world. Fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Put on the belt of truth. Guys, we're in a war. We're in a battle. Jesus showed us the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he walked forward in the full armor of God. And so it's our distinct privilege in Christ to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on the armor of light, and be his ministers of reconciliation, be his ambassadors for Christ, to be his suffering servants and to show the world who our light night is.
And they will glorify God when they see us doing that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are everything. You are my all and you are my life. And so may we as a church walk forward in the light of the Lord, bringing the light wherever we go. We've signed up for suffering. We've also signed up for enduring. We are crushed, but we will not be destroyed. We are perplexed, but we will not be driven to despair. For your love, Jesus, reigns over all. And we get to share that love with others. And the darkness does not like it, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And so as a church, we put on the full armor of God for your sake and for your glory and for your purposes. In your name, Jesus. Amen.